Tonight on Huckabee, former U.S. Attorney Bud Cummins. Magic on a whole nother level with Mike Super. In the kitchen with Buttermilk Sky Pie. Musical Southern Comfort from Buddy Jewel. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Where would we be without our mothers? Did you get that? Where would we be without our mothers? <laughs> Slow audience, but we're going to get them up to speed real soon. We would be nowhere without them. That's the whole point. Well, I guess you know that we are moving toward yet another debt ceiling crisis that has Washington in a tiz. Yeah. You've heard the same song before. About every two years, there's a new crisis over the debt ceiling. And we're told that if we don't act right now to borrow more money, money that we can't possibly pay back, then the world as we know it will come to a brutal and unmerciful end. Now, look, I'm not saying the default on our debt is a good thing. It's a horrible thing. And it could have a real impact on the entire global economy. But the United States has become like a hopeless drug addict who determines that the only way to deal with addiction is more drugs of a stiffer kind and a greater amount. I mean, at some point, there must be a reckoning with reality. Here is my simple understanding of economics, whether personal economics, business economics, or government economics. You cannot spend money you don't have, and you cannot borrow money you can't afford to pay back. That's it. That is the fundamental reality of economics. Now, most of us follow that personally, or we go bankrupt and we lose everything. Most businesses follow that, or they go out of business pretty quickly and painfully. The government, nah. They just keep printing money and borrowing it. And the money they print becomes worth less. And the money that they borrow becomes so overwhelming that they can't even pay the interest on it, much less the actual debt itself. A drug addict or alcoholic will eventually die from the addiction or its side effects, or they will ultimately get into rehab and recovery. Our great nation needs to decide if it wants to commit economic suicide or finally come to terms with its out-of-control spending addiction. The debt of the U.S. hit its first trillion mark in 1982. Now, in fairness, it was under Ronald Reagan who added large amounts of federal spending to help get the country out of a recession. It would be 2008 before the debt climbed to over $10 trillion. The current debt is $31.5 trillion. Or as Joe Biden would say, $31.5 trillion. <laughs> That's what he would do. Now, if this debt ceiling crisis was so urgent, why did President Biden refuse to even meet with House Speaker McCarthy for 100 days? Not even a meeting. And throughout the 100 days, the president made it very clear there would be no negotiating. 
Throughout what seemed like his eternal Senate career, he made grand speeches on why we had to negotiate through each debt ceiling debate. But as president, it's his way or the highway. The House Republicans did something that neither the White House nor the Senate did. They actually put forth a very specific proposal and they passed it through the House. The Senate did nothing, nada. And the White House, they trotted out the incompetent and incoherent Corrine Jean-Pierre to say that if the Republican plan were accepted, ice wouldn't freeze, underwear wouldn't be washable, fleas would devour every dog and cat in America, and millions of Americans would be stranded in the deep forest having to eat tree bark just to survive. Well, she didn't say it just like that, but she all but cried that there would be massive, and then that favorite word of the Democrats, draconian cuts. Actually, even the Republican House plan would allow the debt ceiling to be raised, but the spending growth would be limited to 1%. Now in Washington, when you get more money than you had, but it's not as much as you want, they call it a cut, okay? That'd be like me as a child getting an allowance of a quarter a week and then getting bumped up to 50 cents. But because I asked for a dollar, it would be a 50% cut. That is just how insane Washington works. I am on the national board for the Balanced Budget Amendment Committee, and I serve with several other former and current governors, senators, and congressmen. You see, by law, states are required to balance their budgets. We think that's a good idea for Uncle Sugar in Washington, too. And we propose an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that the federal government be required to do what you do in your household and in your business and what your state and local government does. Live with a balanced budget. Now, it makes fiscal sense but it will also end this every year or two drama of the sky falling because we have to increase how much we can borrow right now. Even when the president is so worried about it that he won't even meet with the Speaker of the House for over 100 days to even discuss it. Now, if a kid can't do his homework, what do we do? We hold him back a year. I think maybe we ought to tell Washington that if they can't live with a real budget, then we'll just stop paying them and send them back a year. Well, this week, the House Oversight Committee revealed that they have obtained thousands of financial records related to the Biden family's shady business dealings. We learned more than 20 shell companies were set up during Joe Biden's time as vice president, and at least $10 million was funneled into those companies, all from foreign sources and then paid out to Biden family members. But let's go back to 2018, to a former federal prosecutor, U.S. attorney, and once upon a time, chief legal counsel for my office when I served as governor of Arkansas. His name is Bud Cummins, and he brought allegations of Biden's corruption, even bribery, to the Justice Department. But he was stonewalled and ignored. Not only that, but Bud Cummins became a target of the same DOJ that should have been investigating Joe Biden. Bud Cummins is with us tonight. Please welcome to the show for the first time, my friend Bud Cummins. (laughs) 
Honestly, Bud, if someone else had told me the story that you have been through, I would have said, yeah, I think he's exaggerating that. But I've known you too long. You and I have worked together in the governor's office, and I've watched you as a U.S. attorney. And I don't believe you're making this stuff up. So, And you know I have a knack for getting into some really weird situations. Well, that's why you worked for me, because that was about as weird a situation as you could have ever been in. Tell me what happened. I want you to just give us, you, somebody brought you some stuff. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of contacts at the Justice Department from having been a U.S. attorney, and so you talked to them. What, what transpired that led to all this? In essence, I was asked to convey a message to the Department of Justice that the Prosecutor General of Ukraine, a man named Litsenko, had a desire to travel to the U.S. and have a private meeting with the attorney general, if possible, but a high-level law enforcement official to make a presentation of evidence that was going to, that uh, supported allegations of corruption at some fairly high levels of the United States government. And and this contact uh, were people that you had had some dealings with business-wise? Tangentially, it was kind of a a client, uh, somebody that one of my clients was associated with. And they got steered to me basically as somebody, I, you know, I had former colleagues that uh, chief of staff, the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, and the, the U.S. attorney at the Southern District of New York had all been uh, former colleagues when I was at the Department of Justice. So I did have those kind of contacts. That's a pretty big deal. The chief prosecutor in Ukraine uh, wants to come talk to somebody in America because he thinks that there's some serious shenanigans going on involving high-level U.S. officials. So you contact the Department of Justice through the FBI and say, hey, you guys want to meet with this dude? I reached out to the United States Attorney in the Southern District of New York and told him, laid out the basic allegations as I understood them, yeah. but I didn't have the evidence. I was being asked to set up a meeting for them to make a presentation of evidence, but they basically fell into two categories. One, that uh, U.S. officials had pressured Ukrainian officials to alter records that uh, became part of the Paul Manafort investigation, mm. to forge his name on a document, remove other names. The other general category was the one that most people have heard a lot about lately, that Hunter Biden was on the board of this company called Burisma, which was owned by uh, one of the known corrupt oligarchs in Ukraine, a pro-Russian And and that's an important part here. This is not a pro-Ukrainian entity. This is a pro-Russian, pro-Putin guy in Ukraine. But they're really on the side of Russia and Putin. Right. And and that he had been taking money to try to influence uh, corruption investigations away from uh, this fellow named uh, Zlovetsky. And uh, and in fact... uh, for a time, the corruption investigations of this guy were shut down. They were re, reinitiated later, and he's now fled the country. So you expect, I mean, I would expect this kind of information. It's pretty sizzling, and it involves... true. Yeah, but at least somebody ought to check it out. Nothing happened from this. No, they, I had laid it out for them. They said they'd get back to me, and they never did. I've Never heard a thing from them. Never have to this day. I followed up several times through email, made several suggestions, you know, well, if you don't want to do it this way, maybe we can look yeah. at it this way and, and never, never uh, heard anything in response to the whole exercise until uh, a few months ago, 
I got a notice from Apple that notified me that in 2019, I, I went to the Department of Justice in 2018. In 2019, Apple got a, uh, basically a search warrant and, and gave, from the Department of Justice for my information. So they opened a case on me. On investigated you. me, but they never investigated uh, the, the allegations that Hunter Biden was taking money uh, to change. I mean, basically, uh, you're a whistleblower policy. at this point. I mean, for all practical purposes, you certainly were connecting the Department of Justice with what was alleged. We, we don't know if it was true, but alleged some high level corruption that involved the uh, son of the former vice president and one day president. Right. Allegedly. And, and we now know so much that it looks like it's true, but yeah. at the time, I mean, I was aware that, that Ukraine was an interesting and complicated place, and this could have been misinformation or, or something. I, I didn't vouch for the, for the credibility of the information. I offered it, but as a former federal prosecutor, as a you know, yeah. Senate-confirmed United States attorney, I can't imagine somebody offering that presentation and the FBI and the Department of Justice not wanting to hear it and see what they thought about it. And that's what I think makes this so stunning to me. You have been a U.S. attorney. You were a federal prosecutor. You were chief legal counsel in the governor's office. You've been in private. I mean, the credibility is well established. And they act like, nah, nothing, nothing to see here. Let's move on. And let's investigate Bud Cummins. Yeah, let's find out yeah. why this guy would even bring this stuff to us. Right. You're going to stick around. And when we come back, I want to get into this whole subpoena that Apple, mm -hmm. because that scares the daylights out of me. You didn't even know about it for three years. That's right. We're going to talk about that with Bud Cummins and a whole lot more. So do not go away. We'll be right back. Later tonight, the astounding magic of Mike Super. Then we'll celebrate National Apple Pie Day with a mouth-watering recipe. You're watching Huckabee. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow AdGovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. We are visiting with Bud Cummins, former federal prosecutor, U.S. attorney, and uh, as I say by full disclosure, former chief legal counsel in the governor's office of Arkansas when I was there. So I know Bud very well, and I vouch for his credibility. We were talking about the fact, Bud, that you were asked to get some information to the FBI. You did that. That was all ignored, but you become the target. And this is stunning to me. In 2019, there is a subpoena to Apple Corporation, and they want all of your records related to your iPhone, to your account, but you don't know that until three years later. That's right, and it, they didn't just do it to me, they did it to Rudy Giuliani, they did it to Victoria, another attorney named Victoria Tensing, and uh, later actually served search warrants on them, but they had already secretly gotten all their stuff. This is concerning for a number of reasons. Number one, there's really no basis for, to open a criminal investigation on any of us. Yeah. We're trying to point the government to potential wrongdoing. Number two, uh, the fact that we didn't know about it. We're all lawyers. And you go and grab all my emails. You're grabbing all my clients' emails. And there's attorney-client privilege issues everywhere. And there's a lot of rules about that. And it appears that they might have just blown through all those rules. 
And so they were just looking at every and anything you had, but they didn't tell you about it. And eventually, after three years, why did Apple wait three years to let you know? Because the the nature of those uh, warrants and subpoenas, the government is empowered in certain situations, but they have to make an allegation that you're fleeing, the, you're about to flee the country, or that you're about to destroy evidence, or I think there's some third one, but none of them applied to me. Yeah. And 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 uh, so they they went to a judge, they opened a case, an, a criminal investigation. Uh, and went to a judge and made allegations that that they had a reason to be investigating me, and they went and got my information. You know, when I was a United States attorney, the Patriot Act was in play, and they, and the government we wanted to pass the Patriot Act because we needed these tools yeah. to fight terrorism. And the Department of Justice asked me in particular to go around and try to persuade people that it was a, the right thing to do because we had a Democrat senator that was a, a potential swing vote in Arkansas. And I told people that they could trust us with these, you know, tools yeah. to go do these really invasive searches and what have you. I wouldn't give that speech today because I don't, I don't, I, I was wrong. You can't trust the government with that much authority to look into your stuff. What and not- a frightening situation for us as a country. I want people to stop and understand. Yeah. If you, as a formal federal prosecutor, are targeted, not because you have funny money going into your accounts, you just say, look, I, there may be some information you guys ought to look at. And instead of looking at the information, they make you the target. Right. It's, it's chilling. And, it, and we don't want to live in a country where you have to wonder if someone is arrested, if, if they come and take your brother-in-law away off. Did he commit a crime or did he maybe just make someone angry or did he give a political contribution to the wrong person? You don't, we have to believe and respect law enforcement. Yeah. And if we lose that respect for law enforcement, if we start being suspicious of the motivation of these people that we've given these massive tools of intrusive the tools. The power to take our freedom away. That's what they have. I, I really think it's a, a, an extremely serious problem for our society. How do we fix this? Because, I mean, I, I honestly think that of all the things that are going on in our culture, and there's a lot of things that disturb me, but the idea that our liberty can be taken by our government because our politics don't match somebody at the Department of Justice or the FBI. That scares the daylights out of me. How do you fix that? Well, we've got a dual system of justice. I don't think anybody can look at, at the, the Russian probe and the Mueller investigation and, and how they've dealt with these Hunter Biden allegations or the Clinton Foundation or the Hillary Clinton email server and say that they're using the same rules uh, 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 of play to, to pursue these various investigations. It's a culture problem in the DOJ. It's a culture problem in the FBI. There are people that have, are extremely on the left in law enforcement at the federal, at the federal level. And, and it, it, you have to win elections and you have to start reorganizing those, those agencies. And if we can't do that, we've got some real problems in this country. Didn't used to be that way. I mean, the FBI was always that organization we thought we could trust and they were going to be on the up and up. And I think you've told me you think the rank and file agents out there are good people, sure. and they're not a part of this, but their leadership is utterly corrupt. Sure, it's, it's the rank and file, the people that sign up to do this work are good people and they want to do good work. It's the leadership and it's the culture that's uh, been created in, the, in these agencies. And it's not just the Department of Justice. Yeah. We see it the Department of State, 51 CIA, yeah. you know, intelligence professionals sign a political letter. It, 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 we've, they've weaponized and politicized the government, and it's, and it's wrong. You know, I, I, I want to just 
end by reminding people that as important as it is to have lower taxes and all those things that we talk about, quite frankly, none of that matters if the government can basically just take our liberties away from us on any given whim. And we better get people in office and elect them who will protect our fundamental liberties. Bud, thank you for joining me. What a pleasure. Now, we've got links to follow Bud Cummins on social media. They're already at Huckabee.tv. Just go there. We will directly link you to Bud. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us what we have coming up in the show, if the FBI will let him talk. We'll see. Still to come, Convention of States founder Mark Meckler on securing the southern border. All ahead on Huckabee. Well, as I speak, millions of new illegal aliens are set to flood into the country as the Trump-era Title 42 ends this weekend. Mark Meckler, president of the Grassroots Action Group Convention of States, recently hosted How Many More Rally in Austin, Texas, to help put a stop to the madness down at the border. He says it's time for the U.S. government to officially declare the Mexican drug cartels as terrorists. Please welcome back to the show, Mark Meckler. Mark, great to have you here. Thank you, Governor. Good to be with you. You have spent a lot of time on the border. Even before you came out here tonight, you were in contact with border agents who are down there right now dealing with a mess. How bad is it? Do we know how bad it is? No, we have no idea. I'll tell you, I really started to dig into the issue about 90 days ago. I thought I understood. I think most conservatives know it's bad. But it's so much worse than you can imagine. There's a full war zone going on in the border. We have full slave trade in the United States of America. We have a person die of fentanyl poisoning every seven minutes. And the carnage on the border literally looks like a war zone. It's hard to even describe it. The photos I've seen, decapitated bodies, dismembered bodies, literally people being scalped alive, people with their heads blown off by shotguns. I mean, the horrors are unimaginable down there. So, so we keep hearing from the left that this is just a humanitarian effort to let people come and find hope. And But that's not what this is. The drug cartels are the ones that are trafficking little girls to turn them into sex slaves, and they're bringing mountains of fentanyl that are killing over 100,000 Americans every year, and not at the border all over the country in all 50 states. Yeah, wherever you live, this stuff is infecting your town. It's $150 billion a year business. It mm. is, it's high dollars, it's high uh, weaponry. They have a full army down there on the border. They have operational control of both sides of the borders. We literally have been invaded and there's no serious reaction to that coming from our federal government. Why not? I, I think a lot of us are just scratching our heads and saying, look, it's one thing to say, oh, we, we want people to be able to come. Uh, you know, they want to come for a better life. That's not what this is. Th- this is an invasion of people. They're not coming for a better life. They're coming to traffic little kids, turn them into sex slaves, uh, bring drugs, make a lot of money, and kill anybody that gets in their way. Yeah, you know, I was on the phone uh, yesterday morning with former Border Patrol Commissioner Mark Morgan asking that very question, Governor. I, I don't understand. Why would our government allow this? And he said it's entirely political. What they're doing is flooding the zone with millions of what they think eventually will be new citizens. Illegal immigrants are now counted in the census. So that means these states will get extra representation. They believe they're all going to be Democrat voters. So it is a cold-hearted political ploy in which literally tens of thousands of people are dying and suffering 
And they don't care because they're doing it for politics. I mean, I don't even want to believe that people are so cold-hearted that they would allow this kind of suffering and the humanitarian crisis. Forget the, uh, the economic impact. But this kind of abuse of human beings, and they're, they don't care because if they feel like they can pad the voter rolls. Yeah, it's horrifying. And for me, it's sort of looking at this close, up close, turned it for me into a humanitarian crisis. This is not about immigration. This is not about migration. This is about human beings. And for me as a Christian, I looked at that. The reason we called the rally, how many more? As I said, I got to ask myself that question. For me as a Christian, how many more young kids am I willing to allow to be sold into sexual slavery? I ask people, take out a piece of paper and write down your number. How many more families torn apart by fentanyl deaths? Write your number as a Christian. What do you think is the okay number? Of course, for Christians, the number is zero. None of us believe that this is okay. And so we have to step up as self-governing citizens and demand that our government does something about it. Well, speaking of that, the government doesn't seem to be doing much about it. I know you head the organization Convention of States. That really is a grassroots effort to say there are some things constitutionally we can do that sort of goes around Congress and the people get to make some decisions. How does it work? So generally speaking, uh, Article 5 of the Constitution allows the states to gather when 34 states decide they want to get together and they want to talk about things they want to do to amend the Constitution, in our case specifically to limit the power of the federal government so we could impose term limits on the federal government. And not just Congress, by the way, the deep state, the folks that we've learned in the last few years are actually Mm -hmm. running the government. Uh, We can impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, a balanced budget amendment, tax caps, spending caps. We can impose jurisdictional restraints. In other words, telling them, no, you can't run our schools. You can't be involved in our health care. These are things the federal government was never intended to do. And I think importantly, one of the reasons I ended up involved in this issue is Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution says when there's an invasion, Hmm. we can actually do something about that in the states. And so I live in Texas, and there's 1,300 miles of contiguous border with Mexico. It's the longest contiguous border with Mexico in the United States. We in Texas are going to be required to step up because the federal government's not doing it. You know, I, I think people need to learn more about the Convention of the States. There, there are some conservatives that say, oh, we don't want that. It could go off the rails. I'm thinking, how could anything go off the rails more than what we see with our own government, which is out of control, unchecked, and really uh, unhindered by any sense of rule of law? That's what frightens me. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to address that. There are, a, there are some conservatives who are worried about it going off the rails, They need to understand where those arguments come from. Those arguments all come from radical leftist organizations. This goes as far back as Chief Justice Warren Burger, who gave us Roe versus Wade, the most evil Mm -hmm. decision in modern history of the Supreme Court. And these are the ones who put the idea of the runaway convention into the American mind. And they do it to keep people like you and me and our audience, good conservatives, from using the Constitution to save the Constitution. I hope we can find some sanity in this country. I truly do. For our audience, if you'll head over to Huckabee.tv, we will give you links to Mark Meckler and the Convention of the State's action on social media. Keith Bilbrey is standing by. He'll tell our audience what we have coming up next, and it's good. Don't leave. You know, May 13th is National Apple Pie Day. Coming up, Scott and Meredith Layton will show us how to make one. Then stick around. An incredible performance by Buddy Jewell is still to come.
Huckabee.tv and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. Well, there is nothing, and I mean nothing more American than apple pie. And May the 13th, didn't know if you know this, National Apple Pie Day. But if I tried to show you how to make an apple pie, it would not be appealing. (laughs) So we called in the experts. Our guests are the winners of the Cooking Channel's Sugar Showdown. And they are the founders of the Buttermilk Sky Pie Shop chain. It's a couple I met while at a speaking event over in eastern Tennessee whose business is blossoming for a very good reason. Their pies are amazing. Please welcome Scott and Meredith Layton. Good to have you guys here. Thank you. Meredith, nice to see you. I have tasted your pies, and I'm, I'm amazed. Both of you had grandmothers that were phenomenal cooks and bake experts. You uh, get married. Uh, both of you had very promising careers, and you quit those so that you could go into the pie-making business. That's amazing. And you're taking all those great recipes, the old-fashioned type, and now making it possible for everyone to get them because you ship all over the world. So how do we make an apple pie on Apple Pie Day? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we've got our apples here. Okay. And um, you know, some people use a variety of apples, Fuji apples. We use the uh, good old green apple. Green apples. Yep. And so uh, what we're going to do is uh, start out with our coating that we're going to uh, coat the apples with. Okay. okay. So we're going to use some uh, brown sugar. Mm-hmm. Good rolling stone song. Yes. Okay. Some cinnamon and allspice. Mm-hmm. Some regular granulated sugar. Okay. And some uh, just all-purpose flour. Okay. So what we're going to do now is just take this. You want to uh, mix that up for me? Sure. Just get it all yep. good and, and stir. Just stir it up really good, and that'll coat the apples, and that'll yeah. get that good uh, liquidy goo in the in the apple. Yeah, we so, want some of that. Yeah. Knock these lumps out as best we can, right? Great job. Okay. So you want to pour that? it on top of the apples for me? You bet. There we Aren't go. I good at this, huh? What do you think? <laughs> Are you amazed? So I'm not going to get this on your suit. Oh, so, okay. Oh, so we're going to take a, a, a spoon here, and we're going to incorporate that dry mix into the apples. And, uh, and green apples, that's interesting. You Granny know, Smith he, God apples. didn't make little green apples, and it doesn't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime. That's what that? they tell me. You know, yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of appropriate. We use Granny Smith apples after our, yeah. after our granny. Oh, that's you know, great. So, okay. There we go. They, they're too young to even know what we're talking about. No, that's that song. <laughs> All right. So once we get those apples good and coated, we're going to take them and pour them in our uh, crust. And w- this is our shortbread crust that we use in our store. Uh, but feel free if you've got your uh, mother's favorite uh, crust that you want to use, mm-hmm. grandmother's, then you can use that too. But this or, is like from your grandmother's, right? At my granny, she used a flaky crust. Yes. Okay. But okay. this is what we use in our buttermilk sky. We use okay. a shortbread crust. Shortbread so, crust. Yep. Right. So we're going to pour these apples in here. Try not to make too big of a mess. I don't worry. I don't have to clean it up. I there we care. go. And so what we're going to do is I like to mound them up in the middle. Leave a little bit along the edge over mm-hmm. here and then poke those down in there. And then now what we're going to do is set this to the side. Okay. And we're going to make our crumble. Okay. And so what that is, 
is we'll take a little pinch of salt. Again, our cinnamon and allspice. Mm -hmm. uh, regular sugar, brown sugar. And then add some more flour to this. And if you want to, you can stir that up for me. Oh, yeah. Getting really good at this. You're doing I may get job. a job at the you Buttermilk know, Sky Pie we can, Factory. We're going to call you up in uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, that'd be great if I get to sample some of the product as I work. That's right. So now once that's mixed up really good, we're okay. going to take some butter. Oh, yeah. We're going to add this butter in there. You want to scoop yeah, that let's in get there that for me? Don't want to miss any of the butter. That's right. Good. You want your butter to be good and cold, One. too. Really oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, that's it. I would have thought just the opposite. And so what I'm going to do now is okay. take a pastry cutter. Okay. And I'm going to incorporate the butter into that. Beating that thing up, aren't mm -hmm. you? Mm-hmm. You want that butter to get in there, and that, that forms that good crust on top that we like mm. to. And, you know, some people like to, on their apple pies, ours is a Dutch, what we call Dutch apple. And uh, some people put a lattice on top, and some people do a, another crust. And so we're going to take this now okay. uh, and pour this on top of the apple pie. And I'm going to make a mess, as usual. And what we're going to do is fan this out on the top. And we want to go around the edges. Sorry about the mess here. That's all right. You're going to clean this up. I just yes, want to know. That's right. <laughs> And so we want to put it around the edges, seal it up really good, and then put it in a preheated oven, okay. uh, 375, and bake it for 45 minutes. That's Some ovens, yeah, and the crumble will look, you know, mm. like this uh, right before it's baked. And so uh, we have some samples of our apple pies here, and we have uh, uh, a slice here that we got for you so you can Well, I guess I will if you insist. <laughs> Ah, uh, if you want more of the perfect apple pie, you go to Huckabee.tv. We will direct you to the Buttermilk Sky Pie Shop. It is fantastic. I'm going to try this on Apple Pie Day. <laughs> it's not right. I don't know what else is going to happen right? on the rest of the show. I'll be eating pie. <laughs> <laughs> now our apple-cheeked announcer, Keith Bilberry, while I'm eating pie, he's going to tell us what tasty treat we've got next. Big hand for Meredith and Scott. Thank you, thank you. Stay right where you are. Buddy Jewel performs for us right after the break. next week for syndicated columnist Cal Thomas and inspirational Christian artist Katie Nicole. And welcome back, everybody. I'll tell you, music is a big part of our show because we are in Music City after all. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons it's a big part of our show because we've got the best band in America as our band, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Well, once upon a time, Buddy Jules sang demos on Music Row in Nashville. Now, what that is, if you're not familiar, they're the sample recordings. They're made to help pitch songs to the country music stars. And then on a whim, 
He auditioned for a show called Nashville Star. He ended up as the winner of that show, and now he is the star. Since then, he's been honored by every music organization from the CMA to the ACM and the Grammys. And oh yeah, the highest honor of all, he's in the Arkansas Entertainers Hall of Fame. Please welcome back to our show, Buddy Jewel. Buddy, it's great to see a fellow Arkansan do so well. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. This uh, song that we're going to do a couple of things tonight. One is Sweet Southern Comfort. It's a reboot of something you did in 2003. But this time you got a little extra punch with it. Who all did you bring to the recording <laughs> studio to do this with you? Well, Clint Black produced my first record when I won Nashville Star. And mm. so, uh, and so he, consequently, he produced the first uh, take of uh, Sweet Southern Comfort. So it made sense to get Clint involved, and he was gracious enough to get involved. And then Marty Raven from Shenandoah. We love him. Yes, absolutely wonderful fellow. And then the Bellamy Brothers. I, wow. I, I can't believe I got that great of a crew together for it, but it's, I'm so excited about and it. And they all participated on the remake of the song. Yes, but there's another one that you're going to do uh, with us, and I just think it's a, a beautiful song, and you wrote it. Yes, sir. Tell me about the song and what it's about and why it's special to you on a personal level, because it's powerful. Well, um, it, <coughs> excuse me, Help Pour Out the Rain, Lacey's song is uh, written about a conversation I had with my daughter Lacey when she was three. Uh-huh. And it's pretty much a true story. Uh, we got into this conversation about Jesus in heaven, and she's a little three-year-old in the back seat in her, you know, her little car seat. And... Um, she says, Daddy, I don't think I want to go to heaven. And I said, well, I think you ought to reconsider because the other place doesn't have air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, that and a few other things. Right, right. And she got really quiet. And a few minutes later, she said, well, Daddy, if I go to heaven, will God let me help pour out the rain? Oh. And the songwriter in me didn't kick in for a couple of months, but it was a really sweet moment to me. And, and one night I, I woke up in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. And that moment came back to me and I started getting this melody in my mind. And I got up and, and wrote the song. It's a beautiful song, and I am so thrilled that our audience is going to get to hear it tonight. Keith, how do we get more of the music of Buddy Jewel? For tour dates, social media, and all his music, including the new version of Sweet Southern Comfort, and for info on how you can tour Ireland with Buddy Jewel, just visit Huckabee.tv. Now, performing Sweet Southern Comfort with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection at Micon Bass, here's Buddy Jewel! Misty sunrise in my hometown Rose of cotton about me high Mrs. Baker down the dirt road Still got clothes out on the line Irwin Dickles there with Judge Lee Playing checkers at the gym When I dream about the Southland This is where it all begins From Carolina Oh 
Eating catfish on the river, chasing fireflies by the creek, kissing Gary Williams' sister on the porch on coming week with rusty cars and weeping willows, keeping watch out in the yard. Just a snapshot of down home Dixie could be anywhere you are in Carolina or in Georgia. Southern comfort, carry on. 